0: To paint, you have to paint. The only way to to paint is to paint. The only way to write is to just write, let it out. But it's also a process of gathering information in.
1: Hello and welcome to Ears Wide Open, a literary podcast that is a project of the open book, the world's most beautiful secondhand bookshop at 201 Ponsonbury Road. I'm Anna Livesey, and today I have with me here Pete Newland, poet. Welcome, Pete. Hi, Anna. So nice to have you here. Now, you're going to start by reading us something, I believe.
0: That's right. I'll start with The Fractals of Literature. Here goes. Dusks shadows glide effortlessly over a ductile and sequined chromium blue sea. Oyster gulls, shag dotterals, poo catchers paraphrase taranga's Plutonic Island arc tooth. Cicadas trill, photomagnetic hieroglyphic ciphers, inflaming electric green Maungalayan Puriri, fluvial Fluvial-edged beach-curved drum rolls, archaic Ngāti Manaya, Tuatua Tua charcoal myths. Fulgent sand-glazed mother-of-pearl mirage Praises a crystal wet, luminescent moonrise. Efflorescent, ferric crimson blood lignans. Read, Pahuta Metaro, Excelsa siderus epics. Surfacing, sea whales scatter celluloid wings of kakariki fish. Flying aloft, refracting waves. Settings for a fractal analysis of literary iterations, thematic illusory sequences slicing reference frames.
1: Fantastic, thank you. Now you sort of encountered that for us, I would say.
0: Yeah, well, I've read it or recited it, I don't know, hundreds of times, I think. so.
1: And it adds something to the poems, I think, to hear them in your voice and with your rhythm behind them as
0: well. Oh very much so. Yeah not. I mean doing readings is the 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 best part of poetry really. Live live performance.
1: And you were kind enough to share some of your poems with me. So I've read some of them and, and I noticed that it seemed to me you've got two great obsessions or preoccupations that come through your poetry, and they are, of course, classic ones for poets, which is right. language and the natural world. Yeah. And I wondered first if you wanted to talk to us about the natural world. I think, having done a little Googling, you've got a, a professional connection as well as a, a writerly connection.
0: Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I'll i go back to the beginning, and, I mean, I think when I was born I had this sense of this immediate connection with everything of the world and soon i struck upon this idea that i'm everything that i'm not so in the sense that all of all of the world external to me was actually what i was who i was and the bit that was inside of my physical body was a very insignificant thing i was mostly beyond that and um that's as life kind of progresses, that kind of innocent notion gets bashed out of you, I suppose. Things happen. But uh, I kind of always return to that kind of feel that feeling that I had then as a young man. Um, I trained as a forester. And
1: what does that mean it, to be a forester?
0: Uh well it's it was a um, was a university degree down at Canterbury and um, I, came, I came to it after spending a year overseas travelling and, I mean, I, you know, there was all sorts of things that I was interested in. I just couldn't hope to kind of deal with it all in one degree, you know. So I, I did this thing which I knew was going to give me a, a job. There's no trouble about that. And... Um, yeah at the time there was a lot of interest in you know native forest logging and um, and I was pretty passionate about about changing the way that things happened in that sphere so i got I got seriously involved in that for about five years and then and then left spent a few years you know, in the wilderness, so to speak, right just writing and performing and then when my children Started to appear, I thought. As they do, do, life happens, you know. I thought I'd better get a a job, so I started with the Department of Conservation, and and that was about 25 years ago. And you're still working. I'm not working for them full time anymore. No, no. So the last sort of four or five years, I've I've been very much more dedicated to poetry, Um, but it's always been there. I mean, it's. Uh, it's, but the best energy has often been kind of siphoned off to work. So, but but you know it's writing my own free writing and it's free writing. It's not what anyone is going to tell me what what or how to do it. Um, I, I find that that's an incredibly important thing for me to to hold on to.
1: <laughs> mm, and it sounds like it's gone with you through your life. I'm just very curious about this idea of being a forester and then the native logging park. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that? So what did you actually do in those five years to change uh, Well,
0: logging? that was... Uh, I worked in the Kauri forests up north and um, there was a, really a review of the Kauri forest management policy and... Um, so I was involved in rewriting that to, to try and um, eliminate the harvest of you know, mature cowrie trees, which are obviously a limited resource.
1: And it seems we don't still do that, do we?
0: Uh, only very, very, very limited um, extraction for very, very, very special purposes like you know, the ocean-going walker, um that kind of thing that he- Hec Busby has built over the years. But, no, apart from that, that's all, all stopped. Because yeah. it, yeah.
1: it sounds sort of crazy when you say, oh, chopping down mature Well, it was. You know. it, that's
0: right. It seemed to be an absurd thing. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's really interesting. And that's not that long ago.
0: No, it? not at all. No, it's only, oh, when did it finish? It was in the mid-80s, really, when it, Really did completely stop the mm, yeah. extraction
1: yeah. industry. So then, to turn to language. So as you will have heard, listeners listening to that, Pete's poetry is very Latinate and very the language is scientific and ornate mm. and specific. And I wondered, what do you enjoy about this language, and what are you trying to offer the reader with this kind of rich and intense vocabulary <laughs> that you go to? I gave a warning of these questions, <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess, well, I I just write what I know, like it's the language that I've trained in, the language that I've read. Every, anything you see almost or perceive can be expressed in a multitude of ways. So um, in terms of words, you know, there's 7,000 languages. There's so... There's not just one word for, for any one thing. There's thousands of them, actually. Different ways of, you know, pronouncing in the accents, describing any phenomena or, or thing. Um, and so that's what, that's what the world is like for me. It's filled with, you know, we're living in this massive, swirling ocean of languages that are forever changing and evolving. In more simple terms, I guess, I started off speaking English as a child, and my father was Dutch, so I had a little bit of Dutch. My auntie from Holland gave me a dictionary of Maori place names, so that immediately was this little entry into to our Maori, in a way. So wherever, whenever we travelled anywhere, I was always... Looking up the names of the rivers and the, the maunga and the, all of the places and what they meant. Um, so that was a whole new world. Then my father learnt Japanese, and so that was like a what, what, something. What,
1: what made him decide Japanese?
0: Um, oh, golly, that was a. They, they just started a new course at, at Waikato University, and he kind of dived into it right. as a. Uh, it was. I think part of his own, um, you know, life story is in terms of coming to terms with uh, the Second World War and a whole lot of wanting to communicate some of the experiences that he went through. Yeah, so that was pretty profound for him and it it rubbed off on me. I mean, you know, it, it can't help but be impressed by all this Japanese literature that was floating around at the time. And then, oh, I, learnt, I guess I learnt... German at school and a bit of French, so, and I've always been really interested in Spanish. So, I mean, all these other languages kind of just reinforce the fact that there's more than one way of seeing something, describing something, expressing a common emotion or whatever. I guess that's what comes out in the poetry.
1: And what's your process? How do you go from what I call the poetry itch you know, oh gosh, there's a poem in that, to something on the page that you feel is finished.
0: Well, yeah, like, to paint, you have to paint. The only way to to paint is to paint. The only way to write is to just write, and let it out. But it's also a process of gathering information in. So to go back to my working life, a lot of that is involved in the process of consultation, you know, so it's gathering ideas from people and synthesizing them into a, like a document that then goes you know through other reviews and gets approved so and that's what my work involves substantially you know hundreds and hundreds of people's ideas from all over the place and so the so, they're the they're same
1: organizing mind
0: yeah yeah so so then the poet the poetry takes on an analogous kind of process in as much as, you know, I read as widely as I can. I'm particularly interested in poetry that's been translated, you know, over the last, I don't know, quite a long time, 15 or 20 years. That's mostly what I've read. I haven't really read anything and written directly in English.
1: How interesting. So who are a couple of the people who stand out for you? In well, it's not. translation to put you on the spot.
0: <laughs> People, it's more of oh, it's more literatures. I'd have to say literatures. Okay, you know, so like, oh, well, South South American for you know, Mexican. You know, there's some fantastic anthologies of of um, usually in Spanish, some and some Portuguese of um, the whole literature of all of those South American countries
1: there's a certain um, uh, uh, you know South American poetry can be so kind of lush right and and there's no shame in that there's no desire to be austere
0: no no well and that's and I love that I mean it's really is there's this richness you know the jungle not that I've ever been in the the jungles of South America have been in the jungle of Indonesia but and in, in Aotearoa, but the same kind of, you know, that richness is, you know, it's inspiring. and,
1: and It's quite freeing, I think, isn't it? Freeing,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I'm so interested you say that about your work as being an to poetry, because I I'm, was a policy analyst and now I'm a strategist, and I say, right. oh, it's the same thing. It's just yeah. the same thing. You gather... You synthesise, you order, you communicate. That's, that's, right. that's what poetry is, that's what policy making is, that's what strategy is, that's what doing a spreadsheet model is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I'm totally on board with right. you there. Oh. Um, but most people right. look at me like, what are you talking about? And I say, oh no, it's yeah. all the same thing. So your origin story as a poet then. So we've sort of covered this a little bit, but tell me when you first thought to yourself, oh, I'm Pete
0: the poet. I, I've, I was always interested in reading as well as in drawing and, you know, photography too. So they, they kind of go together. Um, uh, and I read a lot of New Zealand poetry at, at high school. And then when I travelled overseas, I found myself writing, as you do. You've got plenty of time. Just writing diaries, and every now and then there'd be a, a little piece of that would kind of emerge into something which was more poetic than just like a narrative of what I did today. But when I re- start, when I finished university, that's when I had you know more time just to devote to stuff that I wanted to do. I mean, I was working full time, but time to read what you want, most, you know, and um, then I could read what I what, read what I liked and write what I wanted in my spare time and that was when it really got going. And then I did a bit of a, I lived in Kaiko at the time, not a lot going on there so it was all about creating my own um, entertainment. Um, writing was part of that and then I read something to a group of people and, and then we then we had a little session out down at a, Poetry and jazz evening, and that really got me going. It was like so you had turning, a public turning moment that's right, turning what was on on the page yeah. into um, something that was you know, heard, someone else heard it that <laughs> was yeah, that was transformative, and then I moved down to Auckland after that and, and became a, a, a regular reader at the globe for oh. It's a couple of years, all told. Yeah, that really got me going.
1: Mm. And you've come back to it in full force in the last few years then?
0: Yeah, well, well, I mean, it's always been there. I've always been in this for the long game. It's never, um, no no one's going to kind of knock me out of it. Um, I'll just persist, keep on persisting and keep just making the connections with people like, like yourselves, people wherever I can meet and and talk about poetry, read poetry, and then just whatever happens, happens. It's good. Mm. It's a
1: wonderful thing, is it, because it's so low. You don't need any special equipment to write a poem. No, no, no. Wherever you are and on whatever you've got. Very easy entertainment. That's right. (laughs) You can do it. I love that about them. So I wanted to ask you about the use of Māori language in your poetry, uh, which is scattered throughout and used in, you know, interesting ways. How do you see yourself in relation to Te ao Māori as someone who, you've said you've lived in the north for most of your life, which is obviously, you know, relatively, shall we say, Māori-inflected part of the country? Sure.
0: Well, firstly, I'm not Māori. I don't have any Māori whakapapa, but... I've stayed in, in in Northland because of just the rich Maori heritage there. That's really when it comes down to it. Um, I don't know, there's just something about knowing the the names of the places and what they mean, knowing the people. Um, my work in particular, we, we went, went to a lot of hui and those are very, very... Special occasions, not only hui, hui but you know, funerals and other events. So, during my working life, I got got to know, you know and, and develop an enormous respect for uh, the approach that the, the Tangata whenua took on issues. So, I mean, I was really in, it's in, I'm it's inescapable. I don't have a choice about it. I mean, I do in a way, of course, but. In some sense, it's, uh, it's part of the texture of what become, you're writing about. That's right. I've taken it on board, um, and really, when I look over, you know, the poems have got Maori words in them, but I don't. Think, I don't actually see it as a as a hell of a lot. Could be a lot, lot more. I mean, I haven't written any poems and fully in Maori yet. Life goals. Maybe one, one day. One Life day, goals, that's the, that's yeah.
1: The, that would be amazing, huh?
0: Yeah. And yeah. But some, I mean, something in some things, it, it's by far the easiest way to say something is in, in Maori. No other word or language or expression will
1: describe just the place.
0: fit the place properly. That's mm. what it comes down to,
1: mm. yeah. And so, what about why poetry? So, you know, of all the forms one could write in—novels, or essays, or short stories—you you are a poet. Why is that?
0: Well, to be quite practical about it, they're quite short. Tend to be well, tend to be shorter. And um... I, always say it's a, <laughs> I always say it's
1: a lazy person's game, poetry.
0: <laughs> but
1: I can say that as a um, poet myself. Yeah. Bloody prose is hard <laughs> work.
0: Yeah, that's. That, it's a lot yeah, it's a lot longer. I mean I've I've have done some flash fiction that's um like up to about three hundred words, which are quite you know, that's quite But you had to have po- a lie sick. down after that, right? But it's That <laughs> it was so long. So, yeah, <laughs> quite long. Well, I suppose so. I don't yeah. But having said that, some poems they take more than just a you know, a quick splash on the page. It's you know, weeks or months at times when you're just Mulling over things and then at some point abandoning them. That's what I tend to do. Just, oh, that's enough of that. Move on to something else. On to the the next one. The
1: thing I, you know, love about it is that you can see the whole thing, right? Yeah. I mean, unless you've written really an enormously long poem, but with a standard lyric poem, you can look at it and it's all there. And so you can move all the parts whilst keeping oh, track sh- of them, you that's know. Right. Whereas yeah, I yeah. think, even in a short story, or even for better novel, you know, if you're working on a paragraph, what's happening to the rest of the book? I just yeah. I can't even comprehend it.
0: No, no, no yeah, yeah, no. I, um, something that's reasonably concise, but having said that, I mean that some of the poems are like. Long, they've got long, convoluted lines that give you... It's like painting, really. You know, there's still plenty of opportunity to f- make, have a lot, lot of things going on in and, and a short poem, and, which is what I like doing too. Some, in some many cases, there's two poems actually you know, interwoven together in the, in the one piece of text. So pers-
1: two poems you've written separately and then you bring them together no, or you feel just, as you're it, writing them that they're they're twins. It
0: just feels like there's a there's two strands kind of weaving together somehow.
1: So I feel uh, I'm going to say this to you Pete. I feel that in another version of your life you'd be sort of a mystic. What do you think about that? How does oh that strike God.
0: you? Oh well. That's a, that's a compliment. I'll take that as a compliment. I mean it, I mean oh, it as a
1: compliment, too. absolutely. I mean, I mean. I think one of the things that poets can do for us is that role of mystic or tohunga or however you want to posit it, you know, mm. and you really seem to, you know, inhabit that role.
0: Oh, right. Wow. Golly, no one's ever said that to me before.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Such a pleasure. Have you got another poem you'd like to read
0: us? Oh, right, I have. It's called About to Mean. I could tell you a million things about how numbers are extinguished by night, how, on the road of clouds, dawn is blue, tender, dewy, how every tree is a person, every stone a sign, where to want is only to have no want how the silicon moon in a cedar-blue sky sings, how nature is spirit, nothing but spirit, its essence, restlessness, spilling over its being, movement, how to write the future with poetry at the speed of light, when a tumult of carmine waves echo in cathedrals of 10,000 altars, with ears of the Black Panthers in orbit over Oakland. How time, a power, closes on 1.618, the golden tongue of meaning. Where Zixters and epilostican and tropospheric, what flaming giraffes are doing on the boulevard, how cytoplasm bursts into air, the delirious ocean foams, How its temperature rises and Antarctica will melt.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Pete. It's been such a pleasure. This has been Ears Wide Open, a podcast that is a project of The Open Book, the world's most beautiful secondhand bookshop at 201 Ponsonby Road. If you are in Auckland, come down and buy a book drink some coffee, sit in the sunny garden and if you're not in Auckland you can look on our website and subscribe to my book bag where you will be sent hand-picked books it's for a very reasonable price